Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. College hoops has begun, college football is into the last two weeks, and we've got all the NFL, NBA, and hockey action on BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast Live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is Tuesday, November 15th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening We've got a fantabulous show coming at you today. If you listen to the NFL Monday show we did yesterday, or technically on Sunday, but if you listen to the NFL Monday show, we did a deep, deep dive into the Vikings and Bills game. And one of the things that I talked about in that podcast was that I wanted to set aside the should Josh Allen have been playing or should Josh Allen have not been playing And I wanted to uh, put that aside so we could talk about how entertaining and chaotic that game was. And I'm a little bit proud of that podcast that we put together. So check out that NFL Monday show yesterday for the breakdown of that game. Today, I spent about like 30 minutes to an hour really diving deeper into this idea. And so for another 30 minutes to an hour, I'd like to share my thoughts about the status of the Buffalo Bills and the status of that uh, Josh Allen injury situation. That's going to be the bulk of today's podcast. And we'll see how long this goes. There might be another segment afterwards. There's some other stuff that's been interesting the past few days. But for now, let's just dive into this Buffalo Bills story and see where we get with it. And since we're going to do a deep dive into the Buffalo Bills, I think the best place to start is by playing the parody song that we made during Bills and Kansas City week to the song Sun Goes Down by Lil Nas X, talking about the 2023 Buffalo Bills, because anytime we can do a parody song or a bit, I want to share it on the show as often as possible, and a good one like this Buffalo Bills song should be shared with the world as often as possible. Hopefully those of you who listen to the show consistently are are getting ready to start singing along to the song with us at this point. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. 
Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties. You keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way. Gonna get past Kansas City. Allen and the Bills are gonna be. Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I just wanna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I'm just gonna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. So, first of all, the line in the song that talks about overtime coin flips turned up wrong and make your season seem so marginal, I mean, they did lose an overtime coin toss to Minnesota, like seven batshit crazy things had to happen before that, but they did again lose an overtime coin toss to Minnesota, not to be too far overlooked uh, about the amazing parody song and all of the intricate lyrics that I wrote and performed for that Buffalo Bills song. So talking about whether the Buffalo Bills should sit or start Josh Allen going forward first is going to require this on the front end. I don't know the injury status of Josh Allen. I don't know all the medical information. I don't have all the data and all the information about what specifically is ailing Josh Allen. What we're going to talk about here today is a macro level perspective about preserving the health of the Buffalo Bills and more specifically preserving the health of Josh Allen. We could apply the same conversation to Matt Milano or to Gregory Rousseau or to Von Miller or other pieces that are intricately important to the Buffalo Bills. It now specifically applies to Josh Allen because his UCL, or as I heard Bomani Jones call it, his Tommy John is not necessarily doing as well. So, We can apply this to Josh Allen in a broader macro sense, but again, I don't know all the specific medicals as it relates to Josh Allen's injury. Putting that out there on the front end, now as we go into this story, we got to start with why I'm so fascinated by this in the first place, because uh, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for years now, one of the things that I talked about going into this year that was incredibly important is I want to maintain a healthy relationship with football. 
What I mean by that is during the pandemic year of 2020, I was really throwing way too much of my emotional stability into watching football and making memes on Instagram and growing an Instagram page that ended up having 50,000 followers, just hundreds, if not thousands of hours of time invested into football, way too unhealthy of a perspective. It made it made me sad and miserable, and I didn't realize it until I was spending three weeks monitoring Julio Jones' trade transactions, and it was because I wasn't having interactions with people. It's because I was in college and it was all on Zoom for 18 months, and I wasn't having human interaction that wasn't on a computer or with like my roommate or something. Like There just was a unhealthy dependence on football that 2020 season and that 2021 draft season like just way 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 too invested in football and social media and it was coping with a lot of emotions and such and some of that carried over into 2021 because I fell into some of the same habits I didn't go back to in-person school until September of 2021 And so during that transitional period after 18 months of being online, I fell into many of the same habits as the year before, even though I wasn't as invested time or energy wise, because there were just other things that were helping keep me balanced. I fell into a lot of the same habits. We were doing NFL Monday podcasts and memes of the weekend podcasts and doing Instagram content and doing YouTube content. It was just way too much. And also including watching every second of NFL Red Zone on Sundays. Just way too much of my time invested in football. And one of the healthiest things that ended up happening for me was losing the Instagram page because of Crypto Bros hacking us. Losing that page helped me gain a healthier perspective of like, I want the following. I don't want to invest the time and energy into building social media because it doesn't bring me joy. I'd much rather do this 45 minutes every single day with some of the friends who you've come to know on the podcast. I'd rather do this every single day for three and a half years than I would doing the Instagram thing. And again, it's a lot. I mean, it's 10 hours a week every week for three years that I've been doing this, but it's been refining a craft and refining the skill set of talking and being intricate and forming my own opinions and thoughts and doing podcasts like this. So that's where we were 2020 and 2021. And so going into this year, I made a pact. Healthy relationship with football. What does healthy relationship with football mean? Don't watch shitty football. You don't even have to watch the the good football, but definitely don't watch the shitty football. The only Thursday night football games I've watched this year are Kansas City and the Chargers and the Saints and Cardinals. And I've reached a place in that where I look up and I'm like, I sometimes don't even know what the results are in some of these shitty games. I didn't know what the result of the Panthers-Falcons game was until I woke up the next day, and that's the perspective that I had in 2019, where I know how to do the analysis, I know how to talk about football, and I know how to talk about sports in terms of like formulating my own opinions, looking at data, as you're going to hear us talk about now, and formulating points, and I don't have to do it by watching way too much football and overstimulating my brain to a point where the content ends up getting reduced because I'm too overstimulated and stressed because of all that's going on around sports and having too much of a concentration in my life. Learning to have a healthy perspective as someone who grew up as a, a socially isolated kid who used sports to cope with feelings and, and trauma at home, like that being that person 
who now is able to have a healthy perspective with sports now that he's an adult is something that I think a lot of people go through and I'm just going through with a podcast. And so basically this year, I'm like, no bad football, not going to watch bad football. And this was before everyone started complaining about how bad the football was because scoring is usually the thing people find conducive with great football. And this year, scoring is at its second or third lowest level in 20 years. The numbers changed since the last time I saw the stat, but second or third lowest level of scoring across the league in 20 years. And the reason that's the case is because last year, remember how people were playing two high safeties on Mahomes and daring him to take the, the top off on you? Well, this year, everyone's like, what if we tried this with other quarterbacks? And you've seen the problems with Kyler Murray. You've seen the problems with Russell Wilson. You've seen quarterbacks who we used to think of were like stable stable foundations have turned into some Bitcoin a little bit. People thinking the Raiders were going to be awesome. And the Raiders we talked about last week are incredibly unlucky. It's not like they're a shining example of stability either. The Steelers, who we thought were going to be good, they've fallen off. Someone was going to have to lose these games, and it's Pittsburgh, and it's the Raiders, and teams that we might have guessed and some we might not have guessed that would be the teams that would be taking on a bunch of L's this year. The Colts, I think a lot of people are surprised the Colts are taking on a whole bunch of L's. And so because offense is down across the league, people are complaining about boring football. And again, the Giants are going to make the playoffs with a pretty boring team that is good at running the ball and scoring 20 points a game. Tampa is going to make the playoffs scoring 20 points a game. Tennessee is going to make the playoffs scoring 20 points a game. It can be an incredibly effective strategy because everyone across the league, uh, again, like I said, defenses are playing back and daring you to take the underneath stuff and run and use short and intermediate throws. And the reason scoring is down across the league is not that people are scoring less, it's that they're running less plays. Because these under these intermediate short and run plays lead to more time running off the clock. And because of that, everyone is just running less plays across the board. It's kind of a universal NFL trend. I mean, some teams break the mold. I think Miami's probably running more plays than they ever have before, but offense is down across the league. So basically, boring football is making up the middle this year. So the teams that I've been incredibly fascinated by are the best teams in the sport. The teams who have an 80% chance of making the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl, and that is Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and maybe San Francisco, and maybe Minnesota. One of those teams, San Francisco, Minnesota, and Dallas occupy this weird space where it's like, one of them's going to have to make the NFC championship, and if they were in the AFC, they would lose to Buffalo and Kansas City immediately. I know Minnesota just beat Buffalo, but as we talked about yesterday, Buffalo was up 27-10 pretty much dominating Minnesota. Seven and a half point favorites going into that game. If Baltimore switched conferences right now and went over to the the, the NFC, they'd probably be the favorites to win the NFC behind Philadelphia. And by the way, if you told me the game was in Baltimore, might give Baltimore some points against Philadelphia. That's me being high on Baltimore, but I can kind of say the same thing about the Miami Dolphins to a lesser degree. Problem with Miami is that their defense is kind of bad this year, but the thing that we've been saying for years about Miami is, hey, if they force some turnovers, their defense can look a little bit better, and this year they haven't been able to force turnovers, and their defense is like 24th in the league, but I could still say the same thing about Miami, is like, if you put Miami in the the NFC, 
might be the favorites to win that conference. If you put Baltimore in the NFC, might be the favorites to win that conference. I think Philadelphia is the only team you can definitively say would be ahead of those guys. And again, we'll have more stats about that coming up in the future. But basically, been really fascinated by having a healthy perspective with football, which means not watching bad football, which means a lot of interest in good football, which means for me a lot of interest in the Buffalo Bills. Because as I've talked about in the past few weeks, this is the first time in the last three years that I can definitively say the Buffalo Bills are better than the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, those teams are 1-2, and and then everyone else slides in after them. But Buffalo and Kansas City have flip-flopped only because of the improvements of Buffalo as as like a roster, and because Kansas City subtracted Tyran Matthew and subtracted Daniel Sorensen and subtracted Tyreek Hill. And of course, you're going to have some sort of decline when you have all of the core pieces of your past leave at the exact same time. There's going to be some growing pains in a figuring out period. Now, the thing I said at the start of the season, and I'm going to take a little victory lap on this right now, is always bet on the greatest offensive coach in the history of football and the greatest quarterback I've ever seen play football. That makes all your problems relative. And I've been saying it for years. I will say it again. We are going to look up and Kansas City is going to win 15 division titles in 16 years. This year is going to be seven in a row. It's going to be 15 in 16 years for Kansas City. Always bet on whatever iteration of Kansas City we're talking about because it's Mahomes and Andy Reid. It's the Patriots all over again, man. What the Patriots were able to do with Brady and that defense, it's that but for offense. That's what Kansas City is. It's... It's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and you bet on that every single year. They're going to win 15 division titles in 16 years. And we're going to look up with the Broncos one day and be like, oh, shit, Broncos haven't made the playoffs in 15 years, just like we did with the Buffalo Bills. We're going to do something similar with the Raiders, where we look up and we're like, huh, it's 2032. The Raiders haven't won a playoff game in 30 years. We're going to do that. Just wait. We're going to do that. They got no money to buy out Josh McDaniels. We're going to look up and it's going to be like, huh, 30 years since the Raiders won a playoff game. Huh, 15 years since the Broncos made the playoffs. That's going to happen. Chargers have Justin Herbert, so they'll be able to at least get to the playoffs more often. Maybe win a playoff game like Miami's going to this year, perhaps. But the overwhelming feeling is bet on Kansas City because it's Mahomes and Andy Reid. But this year's Buffalo team is better than Kansas City. And this is why I'm so fascinated by this Buffalo team, because from the very beginning of the season, from week one against the Rams and that blowout against Tennessee, the thing I said is the entire existence of the Buffalo Bills season is to get healthy for the playoffs. They've done all the regular season winning in the past. They've made the roster improvements like signing Von Miller, trading for Stephon Diggs a few years ago, clearing out Cole Beasley, using that money in other places, Drafting Gregory Rousseau, drafting Ed Oliver, bringing in those pieces. Matt Milano's been great. AJ Epinesa adds a piece. They, they've kind of had a rotating door of corners where this year it's... Uh, or did they? I don't think they had Xavier Woods, uh, Xavier Rhodes. I think that was the, the Colts. But basically, they, they now have Dane Jackson and, and they're rotating safeties in and out as Micah Hyde goes out and Tredavious White goes out. But their safeties have still been at least halfway decent this year. Buffalo is the best team in the NFL, and the reason they're the best team in the NFL is because of Josh Allen 
combined with the organization that they or combined with the roster they've built around Josh Allen. They've gone with not just Josh Allen plus competence, because we're seeing what Baltimore is. Lamar Jackson plus competence equals second round of the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers plus competence equals number one seed in the NFC. Josh Allen plus well-run organization equals best team in the NFL. And they're currently sitting at 6-3, and three, and this leads me to the point that will ultimately lead us to why is or why Buffalo should or should not sit Josh Allen at this point. And I'm not talking about for one week. I'm talking about like for an extended period of time, should they sit Josh Allen. Here's some of the stats that back up. And again, like record is maybe the most important stat because it matters in the NFL relative to like college football where you can get ranked wherever you get ranked. Sure, record matters. There are also other ways to evaluate how good or bad an NFL team is. The Buffalo Bills this season have the third-ranked offense in the NFL according to DVOA. DVOA is footballoutsiders.com statistic that ranks offense and defense while taking game situation into account while doing the evaluation process. You'll get similar results to what the, you know, top scoring offense or top offensive rating, but it does take game situation into account when it does its evaluation. And so I find it to be a more reliable stat that I understand a little bit better than some of the rankings that you'll see on the broadcast where it's like number two rushing defense or number three passing defense. It it seems a little bit more reliable because it takes game situation into account and it's just a more advanced statistic that I trust. They are third-ranked offense in the NFL in DVOA, but we can also look at other statistics like they have number one offense in passing yardage. They have the number one scoring offense in the NFL. The Buffalo Bills defensively currently have the number two ranked defense in DVOA. I think only the Denver Broncos are ahead of them, which is a whole nother can of worms that Denver actually has a really good defense and traded Bradley Chubb. Second ranked defense in DVOA. And the Buffalo Bills with a top, perhaps top one offense, because again, number one in scoring, number one in passing offense, third in DVOA in the NFL. Buffalo right now, has the number two defense and a top, maybe the number one offense in the NFL, and their expected win-loss record this season. Football, ProFootballReference.com has a statistic called expected win-loss record. You may have heard me cite it last week when talking about the Raiders and how the Raiders are basically the same team as last year. They've just flipped one possession results from being incredibly lucky last year to being incredibly unlucky this year, and it's incredible how much of a difference that is because the Raiders are actually scoring more points per game this year and allowing only slightly fewer more or slightly more points per game on the other end of the the coin. Their defense has sucked both years. Their offense is actually scoring more points this year. The difference between 2 and 7 and 10 and 7 last year is just flip the one possession games for the Raiders and it's kind of remarkable how thin the margins in the middle are for the NFL. But basically, expected win-loss record is derived from the Moneyball guy Bill James and his formula. It's basically like in simplistic terms, Points scored squared divided by points scored squared plus points allowed squared and then you divide those two numbers and then you multiply it by another ratio. Basically, it's a statistic that says what is the expected win-loss record of your team based on how many points you're scoring, how many points you're allowing, and a formula that helps derive a common factoid. But basically, it's a nerd stat. Expected win-loss record for the Buffalo Bills 
through 10 games, or sorry, through nine games is 6.9 and 2.1. That's the expected win-loss record of the Buffalo Bills based on how many points they're scoring, how many points they're allowing. 6.9 to 2.1. 6.9 wins, 2.1 losses. The Philadelphia Eagles, who as of the time of this recording have played one less game than the Buffalo Bills, have an expected win-loss record of 6.2 and 1.8. Now that is a better win-loss percentage than the Buffalo Bills. The Minnesota Vikings, the team who beat Buffalo, their expected win-loss record at sitting at 8 and 1 real record, their expected win-loss record is 5.4 and 3.6. So according to expected win-loss record, Buffalo is a full game and a half better than Minnesota this far through the season, which if you bring that out over a full season means Buffalo is about three whole games better than the Minnesota Vikings, which makes sense. None of us think the Minnesota Vikings are better than the Buffalo Bills. It's the reason the Vikings were seven and a half point underdogs against the Buffalo Bills last week. The Baltimore Ravens, Five and a half and three and a half expected win-loss record. So Baltimore and Minnesota have been comparable teams this year. And I agree with this. Baltimore should have a better record than their record is right now. I believe they're six and three and on a bye week. Should have a better record than that so far this season. Minnesota should probably be about six and three. <laughs> Kansas City, the team that I said is the second best to Buffalo. Kansas City's expected win-loss record 5.9 and 3.1, which means with exactly the same number of games played halfway through the season, Buffalo is an entire game better than Kansas City, which means if you bring that out over a full season because we're halfway through the year, Buffalo is a full two games better than Kansas City, and Buffalo is an entire three games better than Minnesota, and they're an entire three games better than Baltimore, and they're about the same as Philadelphia. This is the interesting part that I find as it relates to Buffalo. All the data and all the statistics back up the fact that Buffalo is universally the best team in the NFL. They have the number three ranked offense in DVOA, number one passing offense, number one scoring offense. Rushing offense is not great, but it's also 13th in the NFL. Then you have the number two ranked defense in DVOA and the highest expected win-loss record of any team in the NFL only team in the same stratosphere as them is the Philadelphia Eagles. And if you told me the Philadelphia Eagles were to suffer two big injuries and fall off, I would totally believe you because I don't trust the Philadelphia Eagles the way other people trust the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they're the best team in the NFC. All the evidence has pointed to that. I think that's an indictment of the NFC as much as it is the greatness of the Philadelphia Eagles. So if only the Eagles are in a comparable position to Buffalo in terms of expected win-loss record, you're looking at a situation in which Buffalo is the best team in the NFL. And the, all those statistics back up the fact that Buffalo is the best team in the NFL. We also have to operate on this assumption as we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills, which is one-score games are basically coin flips. Let's call it as, the, as it is. One-score games are basically coin flips. And I'm not talking about the one-score games that we refer to as Kirk Cousins Purgatory. What is Kirk Cousins Purgatory? For those who don't listen to the show frequently, it is down six points, one minute to go, no timeouts, needing to go 75 yards. Or being down seven points with 20 seconds to go and you're just like throwing up prayers at that point. 
when I say one-score games, I mean tied at the two-minute warning, within four points at the two-minute warning, or a game where you have two and a half minutes to play, three timeouts, and the losing team has the football. And a, a field goal might win the game, a touchdown might win the game, but we're talking about two and a half minutes, multiple timeouts, and both teams have about an equal chance of winning the game. Either the defense makes a stop, the offense gets a score. We're talking about like within four points and enough time to where the game is close. One-score games are basically coin tosses. Let us operate under the assumption that one-score games over a gigantic sample size, and there's evidence that backs this up. I can't, I don't have it all brought up right here. There's a great pro football focus. I, I hate that I can't refer to the person who brought this up, but basically they've mapped out 40 years of NFL games and determined that over a gigantic sample size in one-score games... And again, if you take out the Kirk Cousins purgatory situations, maybe this number gets even smaller. Across 40 years, every team is about between 55% and 45% in one-score games. Basically, it's a coin flip who's going to win in one-score games where it's either tied going into the the two-minute warning within three to four points, and the losing team gets the football at some point within the final five minutes of the game. That's what we're talking about, one-score games. One-score games, as we're going to define them, are final five minutes within four points, and the losing team gets the football. We're not talking about Kirk Cousins purgatory where it's like you're down six points with 20 seconds to go, no timeouts. Each team has somewhere between a 40 and a 60% chance of winning. Over a large sample size, those games will be basically coin tosses. We're also going to operate under the assumption here that these games throughout a throughout a small sample size like an NFL season don't always go 50-50 like we talked about with the Raiders very briefly the Raiders went 10 and 7 last year the Raiders were like 7 and 2 in these one score games and this year they've blown 3 17 point leads and they're like 0 and 4 in one score games so far this year The Raiders are exactly the same offense as last year. Last year, they were ranked 17th in DVOA. This year, they're ranked... Or, sorry, last year, they were ranked 18th. This year, they're ranked 17th. They're actually scoring one more point per game this year than last year. And they're allowing only about 0.7 more points per game this year than last year. The Raiders are exactly the same team as last year. Last year's team got a bullshit playoff appearance. This year's team is 2-7, and and they want to fire Josh McDaniel. They're basically the exact same team. And over a large sample size, those will even out. But when we're saying large sample size, we're talking about hundreds of NFL games and hundreds of one-score games. It's like flipping a coin. You might flip a coin and you get six heads in a row. If you flip a coin a thousand times, you're going to get somewhere between 55% heads and 55% tails. If you keep flipping a coin enough times, it will even out over a long time period. So if we consider one-score games to be coin tosses, now let's bring it back to the Buffalo Bills. We've talked about why they're the best team in the NFL, all the statistics back up that they are basically two full wins better than the Kansas City Chiefs and three full wins better than Minnesota and Baltimore. I don't know how conducive that is to point spreads, but we could also say they were two-and-a-half-point favorites three weeks ago at Arrowhead 
against Kansas City. And they were seven and a half points at home against Minnesota as favorites. Kansas City, the only team that's going to be comparable to them in the AFC, unless there's a bullshit weird thing that happens. And Minnesota, who, you know, is eight and one, and we think of as the next best thing in the NFC behind the Vikings at this point, even though I think the 49ers, Cowboys, and Vikings are all about the same at this point. Looking at Buffalo this season, I'm also going to operate under the assumption that all of their one-score games have evened out, relatively speaking, over the season. So what I mean by that is, you could argue the one-score game against Kansas City totally could have gone against them. I agree. I also will argue the one-score game against the Jets totally could have gone in their favor. So I'm just going to play it simple. I've gone through their schedule. They've played a lot of blowouts. The Kansas City win combined with the Jets' loss, those even out on the coin flip one-score game thing. Just That's the simplest way to go about it. They've beaten the crap out of the Rams. They've beaten the crap out of the Titans. They've beaten the crap out of a bunch of these. I'm forgetting who else they had on the schedule there. Did they play? um, Oh, that's right. They, so they lost to the Jets. Uh, They beat the, yeah, they beat the shit out of the Steelers. Uh, They beat the Ravens. Well, they did have to come back from down 17 against the Ravens, but they did beat the Ravens. That was a result that at least is normal. If you told me Buffalo beat the Ravens by three points, that would be something that checks out. Uh, they beat the shit out of the Packers. They beat the shit out of the... Like I said, they, they they had four blowout wins. Beat the Ravens by an expected score. I know they had to come back. Beat Kansas City, but also lost to the Jets. It just... Everything else is evened out, except for two games. So I'm going to say everything else is evened out for Buffalo is expected, except for two games. Minnesota and Miami. And I had to go back to re-remind myself why I thought that way about the Miami game. So the Miami game, I knew in my mind, I was like, some weird shit happened. Because I remember when we did the NFL Monday Week 3 podcast, and also we did a show with Cordell Stewart that day. I remember thinking, yeah, the Bills lost, but I remember there was just some like weird BS stuff that happened in the game. So basically, Buffalo early on in the game missed a, a, a field goal opportunity and that they left points on the board with special teams. It was either a field goal or an extra point. I'm trying to remember what it was, but they basically left points on the field with their, oh, they went for it. That's what it was. Buffalo, um, Buffalo basically left points on the field early in the game, but basically when we resume in the fourth quarter, it is 17 to 14. Buffalo is in the lead and they missed a 40 yard field goal. So, you're leaving points on the board right there by missing that field goal, which would have made it 20-14. to 14. Let's keep that in the back of our mind in the first place. Again, I went back to watch the highlights of this Miami game to remind myself why that was kind of a BS win for Miami. So Buffalo's left at least four points on the field with special teams. It's 17-14 to 14 with about eight minutes to play, and the Dolphins have third and 22 on their own side of the field and Tua converts a bomb to Jalen Waddle for 50 yards that was just the Buffalo defense kind of falling apart. And you could say, yeah, fall apart, it happens. The odds of Miami converting a third and 22 from their own side of the field are astronomically low. I'd argue just about as astronomically low as Justin Jefferson making a one-handed catch behind his back while a safety has two hands on the football with a catch that neither of us can explain. 
the odds of converting those plays astronomically low. If you run that play a hundred times, you convert it maybe six or seven times. But the Dolphins convert a third and 22 to Jalen Waddle, which set up the go-ahead touchdown for Chase Edmonds right after that play. So already we're working on crazy third and 22 conversion leading to Miami Dolphins touchdown 21 to 17. So now Buffalo gets the ball back and they go right down the field. Six minutes to play. They go right down the field because it's Buffalo and Miami's defense isn't that good and they've got the best offense in the NFL and Buffalo just does that shit. They go right down the field with six minutes left to play. They get first and goal with two minutes to play. And at this point, Miami has used all of their timeouts to preserve clock. Knowing that it's a four-point game, knowing Buffalo is going down the field, and they can just kill clock once they get to first and goal. So Miami's used all their timeouts and we're past the two-minute warning. Buffalo gets to third and goal with under two minutes to play. I think it was about a minute 40. And they throw an incomplete pass to Dawson Knox, and then it's fourth down and goal. And this is a good goal line stand by Miami. Recall that if they don't miss the field goal at the start of the fourth quarter from 40 yards, not like it was a 55-yard bomb or whatever, it was a 40-yard field goal. Missed the 40-yard field goal, it would have been 20-21 to at worst at this point. So if you make that kick, it's a one-point game. And so instead of having to go for it on fourth down against Miami, with that 140 on the clock and third and goal, you just run the ball, go to the ground, Miami's got no timeouts, you run it down to 50 seconds, and then you kick the field goal, chip shot, 20-yarder, and you're up 23-21. to Instead, they're down four, so they have to go for it on fourth and goal, and Josh Allen throws it short of Isaiah McKenzie, and they turn the ball over on downs. And then remember, right after that, we had the butt punt where Miami, you know, the punter kicked the ball off the backside of his other player and you see his swamp ass kind of ricochet in the background of that play. But then because they had to go for it on fourth down, there's still a minute 30 to go. Buffalo gets the ball back with 40 seconds to play. And then you have, after the butt punt, Buffalo getting the ball into field goal range. Long field goal range, no question, but they got it into field goal range. And remember, Josh Allen couldn't spike the ball to end the half. And that just reminded me of why they left points on the field earlier in the game. Because remember, to end the first half, they also didn't spike the ball down in time. So remember at the end of that game, when Ken Dorsey throws the headset and then like like has an absolute rage quit on camera... And then one of the Buffalo coaches like puts his hand over the camera so that they can't see it anymore. Remember that ended because Josh Allen couldn't spike the ball in one second, kind of like how that playoff game ended with Dak Prescott. And if they spike that ball in time, they get a shot at a 56-yard field goal. So at the very worst, with all the crazy shit that goes against Buffalo, whether it's leaving six points on the field because of what happened at the end of the first half and the missed field goal, by the kicker from 40 yards out, plus the incredible third and 22 to Jalen Waddell, plus going down the field, and because, again, the missed field goal, they don't get to kill clock and just kick the go-ahead field goal with 50 seconds to play. 
and you follow it up with the clock management at the end of the game that if they spike the ball two seconds faster, they get a field goal kick to win the game anyways. A game that they led 17-14 and should have led 23-14 with nine minutes left to play. If you wipe all of that off the table, they still almost have a chance to win the game. That is a game Buffalo should win 80-85% to of the time. They had it in the bag, and all of that crazy shit means they lose the game. That's not a coin toss game. It ended up being a coin toss game at the end. That's a game that they had an 85% chance of winning, and they threw up on themselves. All of that shit went against them, and because of that, they lose that game to Miami. Then you throw in what we talked about with Minnesota yesterday. And, you know, I can list off all the plays again. Dalvin Cook goes for an 81-yard touchdown, even though he only has 39 39 yards in the entire game. Uh, Then we could go to Josh Allen throwing the interception on fourth down and two inside the six, where if they kick a field goal, it's 30-17 to Buffalo. And instead, they throw an interception, and Patrick Peterson takes it back to the 30, and Josh Allen throws his injured elbow at Patrick Peterson. Then you have the 16-yard scramble from Kirk Cousins that leads to the touchdown off the interception by Peterson. Okay, so now it's 27-24. Then you have the 4th and 18 to Justin Jefferson, which is like, again, 1 out of 100 times do they convert that, or 6 out of 100 times because it's Justin Jefferson. Then you have the 4th and goal where Dalvin Cook straight drops the game-winning touchdown. But they jumped off sides, which no one even remembers that after all the chaotic shit that happened in that game. Dalvin Cook straight dropped the game-winning touchdown. They turned the ball over on downs. Buffalo jumped off sides. To then stopping Kirk Cousins on the half-yard line. To then fumbling the ball at your own one-yard line. To then forcing overtime. To then losing in overtime because Josh Allen threw a dumb interception. Plus the Justin Jefferson pass interference on 2nd and 22 in overtime. All that shit is like Buffalo had a 90% chance of winning. They were up 17 points with two minutes to go in the third quarter. That is a 90-plus percent chance of winning that game. They dominated Minnesota, and they threw it all away. So those two games, taken outside of the context of the one-score coin tosses, those are games that if we do the most generous situation, they had a 75% chance of winning that game. Like three out of every four times you play that game from those moments, whether it be the missed field goal in the fourth quarter against Miami, or if you play after the Dalvin Cook's 80-yard touchdown to make it 27-17. Three out of four times Buffalo wins that game at the most generous of situations. So if we're talking about that as the probabilities, if you combine those two games together... And take away the other games and say those are the correct results, that's what should have happened, they all even out because they're one-score games. You're looking at a situation in which those two games, blowing multiple 80% chances of winning, mean that the most likely outcome, if you play those games 100 times, and I actually have the numbers here, there's a a very important reason I said 75%. Again, 75% is a generous give to the other team of saying when Buffalo has that lead over Miami or when Buffalo has that lead over Minnesota, they win three out of every four times. They probably win a little bit more, but we're going to say three out of four for the sake of simplicity. If you're talking about that and you play it a hundred times or a thousand times or 10,000 times, that means that the most likely outcome 56% of the time, 56% of the time, if you play those games a hundred thousand times, 
56% of the time, Buffalo walks out of that 8-1. and one. They walk out of Minnesota and Miami with an 8-1 and one record. 56% of the time, over half the time. 37% of the time, you're walking away 7-2. and two. Again, this is assuming they had a 75% chance to win both of those games from the points that we're talking about. 37% of the time, you're walking away 7-2. Only 6% of the time are you walking away 6-3. and three. Losing both of those games to Minnesota and Miami. 6% of the time, you're walking away 6-3. and three. So all of this is to say, this is like the worst possible scenario that this season could have played out. Like, granted, they could have lost the Baltimore game where they were down 20-3 to and came back, but they were just a better team than, Buff- than Baltimore. Like, the correct result ended up happening, even if it was a weird way to get there, which is Buffalo's about three points better than Baltimore. That was the correct result based on how both of those teams have played this year. Expected win-loss record, uh, all those stats that we listed earlier. That was the correct result, even if it was just a weird way to get there. You could look at that situation and say the worst possible circumstance for for Buffalo is the one that they're in now. Being 6-3 and is somehow the most weird circumstance for Buffalo. And the reason that's the case is because they threw up those two games. They showed it on the broadcast of Minnesota and Buffalo. The Buffalo Bills this season have a... Or I'm sorry, the last two seasons are two and nine in one possession games. And if we're arguing one possession games are coin tosses, that means they've been incredibly unlucky. But we know from context of what we just talked about, a couple of those one score losses have been those throw up games against Miami and Minnesota. And if we're talking about those types of throw up games against Miami and Minnesota, what we're looking at is this is the the worst possible record Buffalo could be walking out of given how talented that team is and given the state of how their season has played out. They've beaten the crap out of these teams. They beat the crap out of the Packers. They beat the crap out of Tennessee. They have the number three offense, number one scoring offense, number two ranked defense in the league, expected win-loss record better than every other team in the league and a full game better than every other team other than, or sorry, two full games better than every team other than Kansas City and Philadelphia. Buffalo is very clearly an elite team and a team that absolutely Super Bowl expectations all the way, all the way, all the way through the roof. And so this brings us all the way around long-windedly, all the statistics, all the game breakdowns. This brings us to what they should do with Josh Allen and what they should do with that injury situation. Because I have said from the very beginning, Buffalo is the best team in the NFL. The statistics back it up. Therefore, the entire purpose of the regular season is to get players healthy for the playoffs. Home field advantage is nice. Home field advantage is important. When you have the best team in the NFL, it doesn't matter theoretically where you play because you have the best players. Sure, home field advantage will make a difference. It is way more important for Buffalo to have those players healthy than it is to have home field advantage. Because if securing home field advantage means sacrificing Vaughn Miller or Josh Allen or just a single one of those key players on the team, well, then you no longer have the most talented team. And what does home field advantage buy you in the first place? Now, best case scenario, you get home field advantage and all your players preserve their health. 
if you got to pick one, you got to pick health over home field advantage all the way through and through. When you have the talent level that these teams have, home field advantage is less important to them because they will have the best players on the field. Same thing I would argue with Kansas City. Kansas City, home field advantage is nice. It is less important than preserving the health of your team because your players are better than every other team other than Buffalo. So maybe you'd like home field advantage against Buffalo. If it means having all your players healthy, you might not mind going to Buffalo on the road in January compared to having major pieces of your team or even depth pieces getting injured. You can survive the depth pieces, but specifically the major pieces of your team. It's all about preserving health. The thing that makes it complex is the thing we just talked about with the probabilities and the 6% chance of being 6-3 and three at this point, which is, if this is the worst possible scenario for Buffalo in terms of record so far this year, you've just burned your margin for error. Because what being the best team in the NFL provides you, or being the second or third best team in the NFL, it provides you a margin of error relative to the rest of the competition, which is Buffalo can sit people and still dominate the AFC East. Kansas City can sit people and still beat the living shit out of the AFC West. Kansas City currently has a 99% chance to make the playoffs and an 88% chance to win the AFC West. You can beat the shit out of the AFC West and still be fine. You could do it with Chad bleeping Henny. Being the best team in the NFL gives you a margin for error, but what Buffalo has done now is they've used up that margin of error because they threw up on themselves against the Dolphins and they threw up on themselves against the Vikings. And so when you've taken away that margin for error, the question becomes more difficult. Do you sit Josh Allen to protect his health or not? Because that margin for error that made it easy for me two weeks ago, three weeks ago, five weeks ago to say 100%, sit Josh Allen, sit Von Miller. Von Miller's only played like 60% of the Bills' snaps this season, and he's still one of the sack leaders in the NFL. It's because you're preserving his health. You have invested a lot in this piece, and you need them to be around for the only games that matter. Because once you become one of those elite teams with an elite quarterback, the regular season ceases to matter. Kansas City, regular season hasn't mattered for Kansas City in four years, minus those three weeks where they were like trying to figure out how to play two high safeties last year. Regular season does not matter to Kansas City at all. Regular season didn't matter in 2020, only mattered for a few weeks in 2021, doesn't matter at all this season. Seeding is nice. They proved last year you don't need seeding because you'll still end up hosting the AFC Championship game and hosting Buffalo in the playoffs. Because your team is just that much more freaking talented than everyone else. And so, because of that, Kansas City has a margin for error when they, where they can rest people. They can preserve long-term health of their players for the only games that matter, which are the ones in January for them. Because they have this gigantic margin for error by virtue of just being way better than everyone else in the, in the AFC. Might not help them win a playoff game, it just increases their probability of winning a playoff game against Miami or Tennessee or Baltimore or whoever they play in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Once you go up against Buffalo, Kansas City's not going to be favored against Buffalo. Home or away, they're not going to be favored against Buffalo. But bringing a fully healthy team to the table certainly increases your chances of winning that game. It's not a guarantee that you're going to win. It just increases your probabilities. It's controlling the part that you can control in a sport that's kind of random. 
So this is the concern I would have with Buffalo right now is like, yes, you should absolutely sit Josh Allen. And six weeks ago, I would have been like, 100%. Josh Allen got a like a, a sore hamstring, sit him. Josh Allen got a, got a sore back, sit him. Games don't matter. They don't matter. You've already done the regular season thing with Josh Allen. You've already done the regular season matters thing with Buffalo. This is the best team they've had in the three, four years of having Josh Allen. This is the team that's going to win the Super Bowl. If any of the teams they've had in the past can win, this is the team that can win. Why? Because they're better than Kansas City. They are more talented than Kansas City for the first time. And last year, they were less talented than Kansas City, and they were still 13 seconds away from beating them. Like, like Buffalo is better than Kansas City. But the thing is, they've just used up their margin for error. So now I'm looking up and I'm like, well, you need Josh Allen a little bit more than you did before. I mean, if push comes to shove, sure, you can be a, a wild card team. But I don't think Buffalo is going to end up in the wild card because Miami would have to keep up this pace. And I think that Buffalo is a good three games better than Miami. The problem is Miami beat them once. And you've used up your margin for error in trying to protect yourself from Miami. And that home field advantage that people kind of thought was going to happen because they thought Buffalo, I thought Buffalo was going to be 16 and 1 or 15 and 2. Well, that margin for error is gone because you threw up on yourselves twice. And you can survive maybe one of those, but you can't really survive two or three. Because, like we said, they're two or three games better than Minnesota, they're two or three games better than a Baltimore or Miami, who are the next best teams behind them. I mean, if you lose two of those three games that you were guaranteed to win, one of them to Miami, well, now your margin for error is totally gone, and you're banking on Miami throwing up on themselves, or Miami being incredibly unlucky in one-possession games. And the problem is, what if they are lucky in one-possession games? What if Miami does get lucky in those games that are one scores that we think of as toss-ups? Well, then all of a sudden, you kind of just had the worst possible luck to the point where you are clearly better than Miami and Miami still might win that division. So this is the shitty part that you find yourself in if you're Buffalo. You absolutely 100% should protect Josh Allen's health. Should protect Vaughn Miller's health. You should protect uh, Micah Hyde. I know he's hurt right now, but he protect all the stars on that team. Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, some of those offensive line. Protect the most important players' health. Protect everyone's health, but specifically go above and beyond to protect the health of the most important players. Because regular season games should not matter for Buffalo. The problem is their margin for error is gone now. And so those regular season games matter a little bit more because, again, they didn't think they'd be 6-3, and three, and they shouldn't feel like they should be 6-3. and three. They should. The most likely scenario is that they should be 8-1, and one, and it's a 50-50 crack between being 8-1 and one and being 7-2. and two. Either way, you've built up a bleep ton of margin for error, especially if that 7-2 and two means you beat the Miami Dolphins in Week 3 because then you've got a two-game lead on the division. I know the Jets are six and three. The Jets are going to be a seventh wild card team. Trust me. Trust me. The Jets are not. The Jets are six and three now, but they're not in the same game that we're talking about. The Dolphins are the team that actually deserves to be six and three, <laughs> compared to to um, the New York Jets. And so this is a problem where Buffalo, because the margin for error is gone, the the answer is not as straightforward to me as it once was. Because for eight weeks, I was saying. Yes, Buffalo, sit everyone. Sit everyone you need to get healthy 
because you have a two to three game margin for error and maybe even four game margin for error against the rest of the AFC East, but you have a two to three game margin for error against everyone other than Kansas City and home field against Kansas City is less important than getting everyone healthy. Why? Because you're better than Kansas City on paper. It's not by much, but it's better than last year where you were on the road and you had the worst team. (laughs) Last year you were on the road and you had the worst team. This year you could be on the road and have the better team. Or best case scenario, you could be at home and have the better team. You don't want to be at home and have the worst team. Again, if you have to have one, you'd rather be on the road with the better team than at home with the worst team. That's the thing that's most important to talk about here. But the concern for Buffalo is that you've just used up that margin for error. So now now it's not as straightforward. You still have the most talented team in the NFL. You're still going to make the playoffs no matter what. But you don't want to be the five seed. (laughs) And so this is the difficult game that Buffalo has to play now, which is we can't, it's not as straightforward an answer as it was before. I think I still, with all this evidence, lean towards sitting Josh Allen. But I think where this decision comes into play for me is, I need to understand his medicals better. I need to understand what specifically is wrong with him. Whereas six weeks ago or four weeks ago or even two weeks ago, I would have said, oh, Josh Allen's got a little uh, a little back soreness. Sit him. Josh Allen's got a, a little bit of a, an arm tingle. Sit him. Josh Allen's got UCL injury. Oh, okay. Well, we should sit him. 100%. Oh, but we just threw away the margin for error, so now we kind of need him to keep us above Miami. It's not that they're worse positioned than Miami. They have the same record, and Buffalo's clearly better than Miami. It's just that they have the same record right now. And that's the shitty thing that Buffalo finds themselves in, is they can't sit them four, five, six weeks like I would have done three weeks ago. It's not the same situation as it once was. The most important thing is health for the playoffs. And again, even going on the road for the playoffs is is totally fine as well. It's just a dumb situation that they find themselves in because that margin for error that they've had is gone. And I think the answer still might be the same. They still should sit Josh Allen. This is where we go back to the thing I said on the front end, which is I don't have all the access to his medicals and I don't know exactly how injured his elbow is. So that makes it difficult. But the other thing that makes it difficult is that margin for error I was banking on is not there anymore. So maybe you sit Josh Allen, maybe you don't sit Josh Allen. The answer is less clear than it was to me two, three, four weeks ago. I still think I lean in the direction of sitting him for as long as he needs. Because again, even if you're the five seed, it's not ideal. You're still going to be okay. You're still the best team in the NFL. Even if you have to go on the road to play... Miami, or if you have to go on the road to play Baltimore, or you have to go on the road to play Kansas City, but you might have had to go on the road to play Kansas City anyways. So I guess what we're talking about here is Baltimore, Miami, and Tennessee, which in one game sample sizes, the Bills should beat the shit out of those teams. Or at least they should be six point favorites on the road, or four point favorites on the road against any of those teams. So I guess we're talking about small margins there, but I think it's just a tough situation that they find themselves in because they're going to get in the playoffs. A lot of this is semantic arguments in the end anyways. But because that margin for error has disappeared a little bit, it's not as straightforward of a decision to me because before I think we were talking about do they get the one seed or the two seed? Well, the answer is do you give me all the healthy players or do you not give me all the healthy players? Because you take away one of those key pieces and again, like we said... 
It's more important to be healthy and go on the road to Kansas City than it is to be not healthy and play at home against Kansas City. It's way more important to have good health and be on the road than it is to play at home and have injured players or less than 100% players in the playoffs. So that's the, the that's where this situation plays out. I ended up making a full hour out of this, so uh, sorry for the ramblings of, of many different parts and pieces to this situation, but I think I got a pretty good conversation out of it, and I'm glad that I did this in-depth dive because, again, I'm really freaking fascinated by this Buffalo Bills team. Really, really, really fascinated by this Buffalo Bills team. And we'll talk more about them as the weeks go along and as we get closer to the playoffs this year. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Occasionally. Not all Sundays. Occasional Sundays. Uh, Make sure to leave a five-star review, leave a download. If you're new to the show, you can uh, follow us on socials. There's a link in the description of this episode. It's called CKSAML Productions. You can check out a lot of the other work we have. We have a documentary series. We have a a Cardinals podcast that I produce. There's there's some interesting stuff. There's, There's some interesting stuff going on as well beyond this podcast space. So with that being said, take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Let us play ourselves out once again with the Lil Nas X Buffalo Bills parody song. And maybe if this is the second or third time you're hearing it, maybe you'll understand some of these uh, in-depth references a little bit more. Thanks for all your support, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties. You keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way Gonna get past Kansas City Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023 Oh, I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I just wanna dive Send me the call And I'll throw the ball I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I'm just gonna dive Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs 
And to beat Andy Reid and his schemes avenging your past mistakes And take the Bills to the big game 